0: Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at bethesdachurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Welcome once again to Bethesda Church Uh, and the first Sunday of 2018. I'm glad that you're here. Um, Today was planned to be the first sermon in a new series called All In, but it turns out that this is now message number two. Um, And to help you understand, we, we had a service here on first Wednesday that I was intentionally wanting to tie to this series, but as it unfolded, I realized it is part Of this series, so we have uh, our production team has made it available to you through the website, the app, and also on iTunes. I would encourage you to watch it, listen to it. Um, It there was so much happened on Wednesday night, we really, I I really sense that God uh, began something new in our church, and so I'm going to be building off that for the next several weeks. And um, I can't go back and preach Wednesday night, so that's why I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, but to show you how powerful that I believe the message is when this series is about the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about. If you're wondering what is all in, uh, we're talking about God's kingdom. Um, when I was setting up my prayer covenant with God, my, my time over the 21 days, one of the th- one of the things that I am targeting during these 21 days is that God would help me to better understand the kingdom. I, I actually wrote that down, not only over the 21 days, but for the rest of my life, that God would teach me through the Holy Spirit what it means to live a kingdom life. And uh, the reason this is important is because we preach Jesus a lot of times, but a lot of times we don't preach what Jesus preached. When you look at his ministry and everywhere he traveled, he preached the kingdom of God. That, that was his message. And we called uh, the Wednesday night message, we called it Cultivating God's Kingdom. Today, I want to call part two, this is my grown-up year. Come on, go ahead and hit your neighbor and say, this is my grown-up year. This is my grown-up year. This year, I'm growing up, all right? Um, The first thing I want to share with you is God's ultimate goal is not to get you into heaven, but rather to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. A lot of us have been taught in church that we get saved and we just wait on to die so that we can be happy. We got to be miserable until we get to heaven, but Jesus never taught that. He said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God has made it available for heaven to come in to your earth. But as you advance in the kingdom of God, you need to know that God will treat you differently. And let me explain what I'm talking about. I have four kids. How many know you don't treat all four exactly the same? <laughs> Some like, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> now, you, you understand my heart. I've I, I got a 10-year-old and a 2-year-old. How many know I can't treat them the same? They're at different places of development, different places um, as they're growing and maturing. And, and so God wants to take his word, all right, and put it in your heart, and then there's a development phase that takes place. And as I stated on Wednesday night, 2017 was one of those years that I was glad to see go. I was glad it was over. And it's interesting because when you look at 2017 from the Bethesda standpoint, we saw more people come to Christ than any other year. We saw more people we, more people call this place home than ever before. More people are operating in the gift of giving than ever before here. I personally experienced more blessing in 2017 than in any other year of my life. And with all of that being said, 2017 was one of the most painful years I have ever walked through. On a personal level, there was times I was so emotionally drained from one battle after another. It seemed like it was one issue after another issue, and it happened almost, I mean, one after, and it was all year long. There was never just a, a moment where you could exhale and, and just be comfortable with where you are. And, and so um, there is a great price to ministry on this level, and I'm not talking about financially financially. I'm talking about emotionally. I'm talking about on your family. I'm talking about in your mind with the spiritual warfare that you have to go through. And so, 2017 was a learning year. And I realized as I began to share that and talk to some other leaders and uh, pastors and business people that I realized that for in 2017, for a lot of people, they they were feeling the same thing, like. This is just a tough year, and it didn't mean that they were not blessed during the year. How I many know God was faithful in 17, right? He was extremely faithful. It doesn't mean that, that God didn't show up and bless you, but there were some things to, to walk through, and, and many of us, if we were honest, we would have to admit that our attitude stunk last year. We complained more than we should have. If Jesus had lived with us, like physically in our house, he would have moved out early. His grace would have ran out on you and your attitude. Now, how many of His grace don't run out? But I am saying that many of us, it was a difficult year. It was a, a year of, of going through some stuff, and I believe that in, in going through what many of us went through in 17, I think God allowed some ugliness, some stuff in us to rise to the top so that we had to deal with us because If we were honest, many of us, when we looked in the mirror in 2017, we saw some stuff about us that we didn't like. And so God brought it to the surface not to expose you, but rather to develop you. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wanted us to see that side of our lives so that he could show us what we would look like without him. How many are thankful that you don't have to do life without him? Right? That you don't have to. If you choose to, that's your prerogative. But we have to remember that God wants to lead us. He wants to lead us to our destiny and to the promises that he has given us. And I want to remind you that we don't create destiny. We uncover destiny. God, God through the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you will just be led, God will bring you into places of blessing. So how many want to be led by the Holy Spirit this year? right? In all areas. Um, I want to say it like this. You are where you are right now because that is what you can handle in this season. If you're saying, God, I know there's more. I know there's more. I know there's more, but you're not coming into it. It's because God knows you can't handle the blessing. How many know God has to trust us? I think 2017 was a year of development and pruning where God was preparing us for what he would show us in 18. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father." Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus said, You're worried about all the stuff, but if you seek the kingdom, you don't have to chase stuff. If you seek the kingdom, all the stuff you need comes and finds you. All right? That's what he's teaching. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some of you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How many remember that? Right? He was a behavioral scientist and a psychologist who studied um, the behavior of, of people. And he came to the conclusion that We are all motivated by nine things, and he lists those out, and he gives them to us in this order. He said that we want water, food, clothes, housing, protection, security, preservation, self-actualization, and significance. That's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, a lot of us remember that from school, when we studied that out, and he said, Ma- Maslow says on his study, we want these nine things, and we want them in that order. And I'm not against Maslow or his theory um, or, or this list of needs. Uh, he's much smarter than me. I'm not a scientist. Don't claim to be. Don't want to be, all right? But, but at the same time, in the first verse that we read, that Jesus spoke when he was talking about the kingdom. You have to read it in context. The first thing Jesus said shows us uh, that, that what God is doing and what God wants to do contradicts Maslow. He said, don't worry about what you will eat, drink, or what you will wear. All right, that was, that's, that's the first thing Jesus said in that message. So Jesus shows us that our self-worth is more important than our basic needs and should never be sacrificed for the sake of those needs. Jesus places great value on you and I. He goes on to say the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store anything away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them and he asks a question, are you not much more valuable than they are? And so Jesus goes through this list, and then he states to us God's number one priority. What is God's number one priority? The kingdom of God. He said, if you will seek first the kingdom, all these things shall be added to you. And this statement that Jesus made is one of the most important things that Jesus said. Because he identifies the kingdom As being more important than food, water, shelter, significance, protection, all those things. Jesus said, my kingdom should be sought after more than all the stuff that many of us change or chase. According to Jesus, our primary preoccupation shouldn't be money, housing, food, all that stuff. Our primary preoccupation should be the kingdom of God. And I've learned over the years that most times when I am frustrated and tired and worn out, it's because I am chasing stuff instead of the kingdom. I'm pursuing things instead of the kingdom that Jesus said I should see. See, if everything we pursue and strive for to live and survive are found in the kingdom, then I have to believe that we have been misguided and perhaps we have imposed on ourselves ourselves unnecessary hardships, stress, and frustration. Why? Because if you get the kingdom, you get it all. Y'all awful quiet. I know it was minus five this morning when I drove here, but he said if you'll seek first the kingdom, all this other stuff will take care of itself. He said seek the kingdom. And, And the word seek means to pursue, to study, or to explore. In other words, Jesus said you're going to have to grow in this. You're going to have to develop in the kingdom. You're going to have to grow up into it. So not only do we seek the kingdom, but we seek the kingdom first. He said it's more important than anything else. It is the highest priority. Now the kingdom, the word kingdom is translated as the word dominion and so it, it has this meaning when you talk about the kingdom of God, you are talking about God's dominion, God's rule, God's reign, and you're also talking about his power. Now, I'm going to make this real practical. You can get your cell phone out and take a picture of this, but I want you to get this next part. The kingdom of God, what is it? It is the sovereign rule of a king over a territory, over a domain, impacting it with his will, his purpose, and his intent. Jesus used the word kingdom to refer to his government, God's rulership, God's dominion in the earth. The kingdom of God means God's will executed, God's jurisdiction, all right, and God's impact and God's influence. So Jesus taught us to pray in God's government, God's rule, God's authority. When you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, simply stated, here, here's the thing. Before I give you that, we have to understand. Hit your neighbor and say, this word, tell them. This word, now look back at him and say, is for the mature. I already know I'm going to make some people really mad today. And I am fully prepared to deal with it. <laughs> fully prepared. All right? This word is not for the faint of heart. This word is for the mature. Some of us will will jump up and take hold of it today. Others will leave and say, I don't know what he's talking about. All right? But how many want to grow up into the fullness of Christ, right? You want to grow up into it. All right, now, now check this out. The Bible is the most misunderstood book on planet Earth. Not only by those who do not prescribe to it, But it's also very much misunderstood by those who read it every day. Simply stated, the Bible is about a king, a kingdom, and a royal family. That's what the Bible is about. A king, how many know Jesus is a king? He has a kingdom, and we are a royal family. We need to be reminded from time to time that when we were born again, we are now citizens of heaven, and we are now ambassadors on the earth. So that means I don't represent my own opinion. I represent God's opinion. I am here to influence earth. I am here to bring the way heaven operates. I'm to bring that into the earth in which I live. So the Bible is not about a religion. Uh, It's not a religious book. A lot of people want to talk about the Bible as if it's a religion or a religious book. But the Bible is not that. Jesus is not a religious figure. He is a political figure. Now, we struggle with that because some of us are like, I hate politics. Well, you need to know you serve a king. You serve a king, all right? So this is not religion. This is political. So Jesus is not just a preacher or a teacher. He is a king. So the Bible is about God's government coming into the earth. How is that possible? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his followers, it's better that I leave. Why is it better that you leave, Jesus? doesn't make sense to me. Because God wanted what was with them to be in them. How many know the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you? And, and, and the Holy Spirit empowers God's kingdom in your life. So government, when we talk about government, we're talking about order, we're talking about influence, we're talking about administration, we're talking about responsibility. All those things deal with government. Government, it was first established by God's command to Adam. If you'll remember when God created Adam and Eve, he told Adam, Adam, I am giving you dominion. All right, I'm giving you governing power in the earth. I I want you to make This place look like my place. Are you following me? Okay. I I want you to extend my rule into the earth. So government is the power given or derived for the purpose of making and enforcing laws. All right. That's what government is. If you were here on Wednesday night, um, we learned that heaven has laws that govern it. Heaven operates, I'll just ask it like this. How many of y'all know heaven operates different than the world? Totally different set of values, different set of, uh, you know, different way of doing things than, than many people on the earth. So governing is about power and authority. Authority has to do with a responsibility. Power has to do with the ability. So God didn't just say uh, you have authority, the responsibility of bringing heaven into the earth. He said, I've given you the power, the ability to do it. So a lot of us, we we sit around, we're just waiting on Jesus to come back, and he's waiting on you to get up off that chair and influence the earth. It's going to be tough for some people today. It's only going to get worse. Most Americans don't understand how kingdom works. See, Jesus is not a president. Nobody voted Jesus in. In a democracy, everybody has a right. Everybody gets a vote. Everybody's got to say so. We have a house and senate that votes on things. Check this out. In a kingdom, a king gives a word, and that word becomes the law. So God is not asking your opinion on his word. He's not asking my opinion on it. When the king speaks, if you study kingdoms out, when a king, natural kingdoms, when a king speaks, whatever he says becomes law. It cannot be revoked. Now the other thing you got to understand is is God is not going to break his own word. So whatever he has spoken... That's why the one writer said, whatever God has said, that word will go out and accomplish, and it will not return void back to God. That whatever God says, whatever God speaks out, that thing is going out and it will accomplish the desired outcome that God has for it. And nobody's voting on that. That's God who decides. He speaks and it is. So the word um, for God, or that word God's law, Again, it's not voted on, cannot be revoked. And I said this Wednesday, and I think it's a great place to remind a lot of us. If you're here today and you say, I just, I don't have any passion for God. Um, I'm tempted to just go back to the old life. All those things. If you're kind of in that season where you're, you're not pumped up for God and all that stuff, the problem is, is you don't have enough word in you. Because word, according to Mark 4, is seed. Seed has one intended outcome. The, the, the priority of seed is to impregnate. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell them, get pregnant. Get pregnant. <laughs> when the word is sown into your heart, you're pregnant. Spiritually speaking, some of you are like, I'm not having any more babies. I'm not talking about babies. I got four. I got enough. I, all right? I don't need that anointing. I'm all right in that department. But when the word is sown, all right, you get pregnant with something that produces all that you need, which means that if I've got word, then there's no way I can be in the molly grubs all the time and have no passion for God and no faith at all, it simply means if I'm living like that, that I need to get pregnant because once God's word is sown into my heart, I am carrying something that is greater than what I'm going through. So I'm not going to quit and throw in the towel for you or any circumstance because I am pregnant with a word. So like, man, I don't want to be pregnant. You need to get pregnant man some of y'all you're just up and down you like a yo-yo spiritually the problem is you need some word planted into your heart that God is going to cultivate and God is going to develop again we don't understand the concept of kingdom because we live in a democracy but in a kingdom the king's word becomes law now Jesus doesn't teach principles so that you and I can stay saved I was taught we do all the things Jesus said so that we could make it to heaven. And it was almost like we had an idea in our minds that if we could keep it all, then we were good enough to stay saved. Well, how many know you had nothing to do with salvation? Salvation is not your victory, salvation is Jesus's victory. So these principles, it's not about maintaining salvation. These principles are about aligning your life with heaven so that heaven can start coming in to your earth. What's wrong with a large part of the body of Christ is we are out of alignment. We, we've received grace, but we don't operate in His principles. And this is good. Good preaching. So why did Jesus say things like love your neighbor? Why did he say things like, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say don't hate? Why did he say pray for those and bless those who lie on you? If they hit you in the cheek, what did he say to do? Hit them back? That's what we want to do, right? Punch them back. No, he said turn the other cheek. What was he doing? He was trying to teach us some principles that run contrary to our flesh, which means that I need the Holy Spirit to even do what he said. Come on, y'all know you'd rather punch somebody sometimes. I'm not the only one. So the Holy Spirit gives me power to do what he said. And when I come into alignment, the commands and principles that Jesus taught were to align my life with heaven and heaven's will so that his kingdom could come in to my world. Now here's where the rubber really meets the road. The key to it is obedience. Obedience is the key to unlock the kingdom. The problem is is that a lot of this is based on authority. It's based on what God says it is. But we're preaching now to a generation that hates authority. And I'm not talking about pulpit authority only. I'm talking about parental authority, classroom authority. Come on, teachers, give me an amen. They don't care who you are or what you say. There's a, an overall pushback against authority because we don't understand. God gave us authority to help us, and all authority is ordained by God. Scripture is very clear about, about that. So authority is not to work against us. It's to help us, and with that being said, When you first get saved, God blesses you everywhere you turn. Like, it's like the two-year-old that gets all the attention in the family. Everly gets all the attention at my house. Why? Because she's two. And if she don't get it, she's going to roll around in the floor and scream. Right? And we go get the two-year-old. I'm sorry, buddy. Can't talk to you right now. Can't stand her screaming any longer. When you first get saved, God gives you all this attention, all this free stuff, all this blessing that God drops into your life. It's kind of like the story of Ruth and Boaz. If you've never read that, go read it. But Ruth is a picture of us. Boaz is a picture of Christ. And in that story, Boaz, which is a symbol of Christ, left handfuls on purpose to bless a beggar in a field. That's how it started. But God took her from begging in the field to owning the field. And the way it happened was because she developed. She grew. She could obey an instruction from Naomi. She could obey an instruction from Boaz. And so God took her from the background to the forefront. And that's what happens when you start operating in kingdom principles. Because God, what God will do in, in your development, there will be a season, all right, for those of you that just got saved, enjoy it. Blessings coming, God's going to tackle you with blessing. But as you develop, he will stop dropping all the free stuff. I'm going to explain this. Favor does for you, all right, what you do not know to do for yourself. But once you increase in knowledge, you are held responsible for what you know. What does that mean? It means that God will develop you cultivate his word in you and then he will bring you to a season where you're like I can't hear his voice and where is God what's going on what's God doing he's saying I want you to learn how to work the word for yourself I I, your marriage is in trouble work the word your finances in trouble come into alignment with my principles on giving come on somebody it's quiet in this church And the reason being is because we want salvation. We want to go to heaven. We just don't want to operate in obedience. And then we're mad at God when things aren't going the way we think it should go. And so Jesus gave us these principles to show us how obedience brings us into alignment with his government and his authority in our life. And the cool thing is God has given us the church to help develop us. He said that I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the agent of the kingdom. All right? So God is building something to help develop us. And Ephesians 4, this is where it's going to get heavy today, guys. I hope you're ready. Ephesians 4 says in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, Some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. This is my grown-up year. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, come a few weeks and miss two months, I got faith today, but we see you next week and you're dying and don't have any faith. To and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up, we may grow up, this is my grown-up year, in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. I'm tempted to ask you to ask your neighbor, are you doing your share? Oh, man, you don't have to. I'm just tempted to do that. But when that happens, it causes growth of the whole body, and it edifies itself in love. So something happens when we begin to mature and grow, and, and so God uses the church to do it, and God gave us five tools to do it with. He said, I've given you apostles. Apostles are pioneers. A lot of of people don't have an understanding of what an apostle is. An apostle gift is an in-your-face gift. It is a we-are-taking-the-territory-type gift. It is a breaking open a region, region type gift. That's what an apostolic anointing does. But he said, I've also not only given you apostles, I've given you some teachers. And teachers are gifted to instruct in the word. They can teach and instruct and and help disciple us. An evangelist, on the other hand, is a person who doesn't care about discipleship at all. They don't even care that you're here and you're saved. An evangelism gift is all about they're lost. Now I'm going to help them find Jesus. That's what an evangelist gifting does. And then there's also the prophet who has the ability to see into the spirit the things God is doing and come back and announce what God is doing. And then there is the pastor. The pastor is a shepherd who takes care of the flock. The point I'm making with the five gifts he gave to edify the body of Christ till we come into unity and the fullness of Christ, these five gifts, you need all five. Part of the reason the church, the body of Christ, struggles is because we are trying to build God's house with one tool. The only gift we recognize is the pastor. The only gift that we celebrate is the pastor. And this is an important gift, but what you need to know about the pastoral gift is that it is a stroking gift. What do you mean, pastor? It is a make you feel good gift. It is a hold your hand while you cry gift. That's a pastor. All right? now. Obviously, I have some pastoral ability and gifts, but if you know me very well, that's not my dominant one. I'm not even going to elaborate on that. (laughs) We need the comforting gift of the pastor, but we also need the black and white of the prophet. We also need the soul-winning gift of the evangelist. We need the pioneering spirit of the apostle. We need all five gifts. Why? Why do we need all five? Because God said you need all five. Right? We need all five. Our problem is, is we only want to receive from the pastor. You know why? The pastor makes us feel good. Now, I have the ability to do that stuff but obviously my primary gifting is, is, is not just pastoral, and you need to know that all five of these gifts are in operation in this house. How do you know that, pastor? Because you can't grow from 70 to 1,000 without all five of these. It, it can't happen. Listen, listen, listen to my heart, listen. If I tell a pastor, grow your church, I have frustrated him. Why? Because his gift is to maintain. His gift is to love the sheep that he has. Are you all in this building? You have to understand that it doesn't mean that, that, you know, we don't need the other or we don't need the pastor. You, how many of you got to love? But, but a lot of that happens here at Bethesda through under shepherds. Listen, I'm not at the hospital every day. If you see me coming, It's bad. I'm serious. It's bad. One reason I can't do it now. I can't. I can't chase a thousand people. Not and have a marriage and children. I mean, I would need to divorce Karen and say, "Kids, I can't have you anymore." If I if I was to be what a lot of people want me to be. But what's happening is, is through the apostolic, through the teaching, through the prophet, through the pastor, God is utilizing all of them to build us up. Now, a lot of us, we're, we're sitting here and we're like, well, I, I think all those gifts are gone. You know, they're, they're gone. Well, who, who died and made you king of that? Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Look at this. Check this out. Let me show you how long the apostle, the prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist will be employed. Ephesians 4.13. 13. Till. Till what? Till we come into unity of the faith. Is the church completely unified? Absolutely not. So we need them. Has the church come into the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God? No. So till this happens, we will have these gifts. I'm getting ready to go somewhere. All these gifts are activated until Ephesians 4 is fulfilled. I need those gifts in my life. I need those people in my life. We have those gifts to train, all right, to edify, to disciple, and to inspire. It was never supposed to be a powerful preacher. It's always supposed to have been a powerful people. I'm preaching better than you're clapping right now. Now, a lot of us, we will clap to a statement like that, It's not about a powerful preacher. It's about a powerful people. We'll clap. But let me give you a truth. If the church finds out I'm not here next Sunday, our attendance will drop drastically. That's just the truth. If people find out I'm on vacation or gone, our attendance goes down big time. You know why? Because we have bought into the idea that the powerful person has to hold a microphone. A lot of preachers won't tell you this because they want you to need them. I said this is for the mature. God never meant to build it on a stage personality. I am not a hired professional to cast out your devils, rebuke your child's fever, and to pray your miracle in. Listen, that's not my role. I am to equip the saints. In other words, let's say it like this. I'm supposed to put, put more bullets in your gun. I'm supposed to sharpen your knife. I'm supposed to put some tension in your bow. It's, about, it, it's not about me becoming great. It's about me helping you become great. And if you become great, I'm great too. Come on, church. It's not about a powerful person. What scares me the most about American Christianity is a lot of these big, big, big names. Everything's built on that name, on that person. I believe God is raising up a church in White Silver Springs, West Virginia, That's not about Chad Dingus, but it's about the power of God coming upon the people that we are not a powerful person. We are a powerful people. You're going to lay hands on the sick and cast the devils out of your own house. Amen. Come on, somebody. You got to walk in that. You got to know who you are. Your citizenship is not here, your citizenship is in heaven, and God fully intends that you're able to bring heaven into the earth. <laughs> Woo! I tried to teach, Lord, but now I got a preach coming. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell them this is my grown up year. And we're going to run out of time, so we may have to revamp the end of this. To step into kingdom living, you have to learn how to wash yourself. Again, this is rubber meets the road. What does that mean, Pastor? It means you can't mooch off of my anointing. I just got to say it. You need to get anointed. You need to figure out how to wash yourself. You need to figure out how to hear the Holy Spirit for yourself. You need God's leading in your life. And so here's where, where the mature come in. Worship team, you can come back. I don't know if we'll sing or not. We may, Sometimes you don't need to sing. You need to hear. Hebrews chapter 5. It says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Yay! (laughs) It's a good word. You've you've become dull. He's not talking to people who need hearing aids. He's talking to people that can't hear spiritually. He's addressing people who can't hear God because their life is out of alignment. Man, verse 12 says for and this is where it's really tough. For though by this time, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have you have come to need milk and not solid food one of the most frustrating things leading the church is realizing you got to teach the same stuff over and over because God can't advance you beyond your level of obedience the writer of Hebrews is you know what he's saying I believe it's Paul there's a lot of debate about it it just sounds like Paul to me he's, he's saying I would love to build your faith but I have to tell you the same things over and over Verses 13 and 14, for every everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. This is my grown up year. That is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the writer of Hebrews is saying to this congregation, he said, You guys have been coming to church long enough, longer than it takes to receive a doctorate's degree. That's how long you've been coming to church, Paul said. But every time I come, i got to teach you the same stuff. At this point, you should be on the meat, but you're still on the milk. What is he telling us? The church as a whole is full of people who are full grown and still need a bottle. This may be one of the best messages I've ever preached, so you need to receive it. You, need to, you just need to grab it. You're either going to get mad or you're either going to get bitter over this or get better. You've been in church for 20 years and still don't know the Word. Because knowing the Word is not knowledge. Knowing the Word is doing it. We cannot step into true kingdom living until we understand this principle. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, and work the Word for yourself. The writer said they've, they're having their senses exercised. The word exercise, he's not talking about you going back to the gym in January and flexing. Everything you have in the natural, you also have in the spiritual. He said you're dull of hearing. I'm not talking about hearing aids. He's talking about he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He said he who has eyes, right? Or he said give them eyes to see. Not talking about natural sight, he's talking about spiritual sight. But because we've not been sharp, we have to, by reason of use, exercise those senses. And that, that phrase, by reason of use, that, that word literally means in, in, the, in the Greek, it is the word for which we get gymnasium. You go to the gym, all right, because it is a place of resistance. How I many know the only way to grow your muscles is to give them some resistance? So God is saying, come on, walk with me. God puts us in a place of resistance. God's like, I tried to get you there through the worship service. I tried to get you there through the teacher and the pastor, and I, I tried to get you there, but you were dull of hearing, so I had to put you in some trouble. And when I put you in some trouble and you start facing some resistance, then you're all of a sudden... You're able to hear what you couldn't hear before and see what you couldn't see before all because God in 2017 put a little resistance on you so that you could start seeing and hearing the new place God is bringing you into. I think we ought to praise God for 2017 because it positioned me to hear what he's going to do. Come on, somebody. Let's give God a real praise as you stand to your feet today. Come on. Give him a praise in the house. Come on, this is my grown-up year. My grown-up year. Would you bow your heads all over this place and close your eyes? No one looking around for these next couple of moments. If you're in this place and or watching online and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If that's you, you, say, I'm here, don't know Jesus, but I don't want to leave like this. I want to know him as my Savior. If that's you, would you throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that is me, Pastor. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness in my life. Thank you for the two online. God bless you. Anyone here? Anyone under the sound of my voice? Anyone at all? Let's pray with these two that are watching online. Come on, every voice. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God praise for that today. Prayer team, staff, come forward. If you need prayer, don't leave without it. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.